I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, Poddleters. I hope you're doing well. Today's episode is when did disability become so taboo? So I speak to the amazing Sophie Butler, who is a fitness influencer and also a wheelchair user. We discuss her accident and how she came to be disabled or to have a disability. And also the way that the world perhaps disables us more than injuries, accidents or disabilities that we're born with may do, which might seem like a confusing concept, but it's basically the idea of ableism and how the world is set up for people who are able-bodied as opposed to those of us who perhaps can't function in a very specific way. It was so inspiring to speak to Sophie and I think it's a really interesting conversation. I really hope you enjoy it. As always, please do rate, review and subscribe. Bye! Hi guys and welcome to Adulting. Today I am joined by Sophie Butler. Hi guys. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Really good, thank you. Um, so today I've got Sophie on to talk to me about accessibility and disability. And I wanted to start off with this because I thought this is like so ironic, also really ignorant of me not to think of it, but it's like pertinent to what we're going to be discussing. I booked a different studio to record in, in Soho. And this morning I suddenly thought, oh my God, I don't know if it's wheelchair accessible. So I emailed them and I said, hey, just checking, I'm fairly certain you are because it's like a new building do you have wheelchair accessibility? And they said no. And I thought, oh my God, imagine I'm meant to be talking about this and I hadn't even checked. So luckily now we're in ACAR Studios and it is wheelchair accessible. But I just found that to be really mind-blowing. So that's kind of like, even when you're supposed to be thinking about it, it's just not available. Um, so so people have a bit of a better idea about who you are and what you do. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, so I am Sophie Butler. I'm a little bit nervous, so I'm sorry if I stumble. <laughs> um, I'm 23 years old. I'm from Essex. Um, and I am, I guess you would call me a fitness influencer. Totally. Still not got used to that word <laughs> yet. I mean, I'm on the Cosmopolitan Health and, Influence, Health and Fitness Influencer of the Year, and I still don't want to call myself an influencer. I don't know why. It just doesn't feel real. But but um, yeah, so I, I that's that's what I do. That's my thing. Um, see, I say my kind of like intersection of fitness is I love talking about representation in fitness, um, accessibility within fitness, because it's something I did fitness before I was um, disabled. So um, I had an injury, which we'll talk about in a bit. Um, but I had an injury a few years ago and I kind of had to get myself back into fitness. So I got into the influencing world, as you like, um, through documenting my journey of getting back into fitness and trying to make um, my space accessible. Um, so that's what I do now. I'm an online fitness coach as well. So I, I coach people online. Um, but yeah, my injury of how I actually became disabled was actually a training accident. So I had an accident in July of 2017. So I just finished uni, literally just got my results that day. And um, I fell while squatting in a Smith machine. And um, it's always shocked people. <laughs> but um, yes, yeah, so I fell on my bum and the safety latches weren't up high enough. So that was the problem. Mm. So the safety latches didn't actually catch the bar. I caught the bar. Um, so it basically kind of caught, the pressure was too much. It caused my back to snap. And as it snapped, it basically went into my spinal cord. Um, and that caused me to be paralyzed from the waist down. 
Wow. Yeah, so I was, that was July 2017. So I was in hospital for, um, for four months with that and then coming out of hospital it, ever since I came out of hospital in November 2017 and ever since then I've just been kind of on a journey of it was just a journey of getting back into fitness and seeing like oh well, I hope that's something that I could do and trying to like fight people being like no you, you shouldn't do that anymore so that, that was always one interesting part mm. and then um, and now it's become more about so much bigger than that without me even realising it and not just getting back into it but actually taking my space and making it bigger and make I want to make it more of an accessible space for other disabled people and other people who don't see themselves within fitness yeah you're absolutely changing the game when it comes to the fitness influence world like it's absolutely <laughs> incredible I, I mean speaking like just as I said before from a point of privilege where I don't have a disability I'd never seen anyone especially not in a wheelchair in the gym so the fact that you're kind of at the forefront and you work with brands like Gymshark like you're really yeah. out there and your message is always so positive and you've got so much to say and also your messages are applicable to everyone not just people with disability yeah. it just so happens that you also are in a wheelchair and I think as well I think the one thing um the one thing that I really struggled with at first was I kind of didn't really have like um, like a blueprint, someone to look to and think like, oh, that's who I want to be. I, was, I remember after my injury, I was scrolling for Instagram and sitting lying in the hospital bed like for days and weeks and months. I'm just scrolling through and I'm thinking, no one I follow looks like me anymore. I'd gone from being a fairly lean white girl going for Instagram, very privileged and going like, okay, I can relate to this person, that person. Now I'm scrolling through thinking none of these people look like me. None of these people are going to act like me go through my struggles or work out like me and I remember getting really really like upset and frustrated and thinking like okay so there's their options aren't open to me anymore and then the the only place I could look to and see myself was the Paralympics Mm. but I thought but I'm, I don't want to be a, a Paralympian. And I, I think I, I actually did an interview with Adobe the other week and then um, there was like, what was the, one of the things you've struggled with? And I think actually one of the things I didn't even realise till that interview was having to like find my own, be my own representation in a way. I mean, there are so many amazing disabled women in fitness, there absolutely are, but none of them are like what I wanted to do. I didn't want to be a Paralympian, that mm. isn't me. And I, you would get sometimes people say to me, be like, oh, you'll be at the Paralympics soon. <laughs> And I literally, I look at them and I think, the first time someone said it, I thought, right, I've got to deconstruct this because it's upset me and I don't know why. So I took some time to thought about it and I thought, hang on, imagine if I turned to you, you've just come from the gym and I've said, oh, you know, you're going to be at the Olympics. So. Yeah. And I'm like, what? You think the Paralympics is that easy? You think it's like some disabled hangout where we all meet up mm. and just go and be disabled? Like it's, that's, like, I think that was the thing that annoyed me about it. I was like, no, they're, af- they're like athletes. They're Olympic athletes. Like that's not what I want to be. I, I want to be me. I want to be in fitness, but you can be that and not want to be an athlete. Like it's like, able-bodied people. So, you know, they go through that as well. So then that was one thing I struggled with was like, oh, I kind of have to separate myself from a Paralympian and kind of create my own. I want to be, um, I want to be who I am. You're right. It's so reductionist to assume that just because you've got a disability and an interest in fitness, you automatically could be a Paralympian. Yeah. It's that's being an athlete. Like by yeah. any stretch of the imagination, that's ridiculous even for me to do the equivalent of what a Paralympian does. Like I couldn't. It's yeah. still being an athlete. Exactly. Yeah. And that reductionist idea, I think, is what's really unhelpful. And I do think that sometimes people think that they're being helpful by saying it. Yeah. And I think that is one thing as well, is I've really had to like learn is I because I, I don't want to um I know because I know people are trying to be they're not trying to be mean but then at the end of the day I'm not gonna um 
pacify your ableism because you've said it with a smile. Totally. You know, um, so a lot of people go, I don't mean offence. And I go, okay, and I don't mean to offend you, but it's also your time to listen. So um, it's just like if, if there was, you know, a person of colour, if, if a black woman was trying to sit here now and talk to me about racism, that would be my turn to shut up and learn. Um, you know, so it's just like, if I think, and a lot of people just try to get their point across of I'm not being mean. It's like, okay, you might not be, but you need to learn from this. Um, but I think the whole thing with the, the the Paralympian thing, I think that actually stems from a lack of representation. So people see, you know, the Paralympics and then that is kind of what they latch onto because that's the only imagery they get. So when they think they see me and they go, oh, there you go. <laughs> they literally do the math of wheelchair, fitness, Paralympian. Whereas like that's because that is what their scope is when it comes to someone who looks like me. You're right. And I think it's also the issue of putting the disability first. So I, I just caught myself earlier and I was saying to you, instead of calling you like or people with a disability, saying that rather than a disabled person. And where you're a woman, you also have a disability. So as a woman, you have the option yeah. to do a myriad of different things. Whereas I think sometimes people, when you have a disability, put the disability first and that's all they can see. Yeah. And I know that this conversation is going to be around disability, but I want it to be around the de-stigmatizing and breaking it down to be like the fact that whatever components of my personality are just the same as your disability. Like, that's not yeah. who you are. And I think as well, I think people get really um, caught up in trying not to be offensive and they're like, oh, we don't want to, we don't want to attach you to your disability. But then it also, on the flip side, I'm like, don't completely detach my disability because it's like, I think when, I think I've had some people say to me before, like, oh, you shouldn't call yourself disabled. And I'm like, why? I have a disability. I have a physical disability that stops me from, from walking. So that is what it is. You might as well call it what it is because mm. I think when you do that what you actually do is you completely invalidate the disability mm. and when you invalidate the disability you invalidate your need to be accessible so it's all well and good saying you shouldn't call yourself disabled and I'm like oh okay cool so when I get to Liverpool Street this afternoon should I just try and do things the way you do it because if I did that and I ignored my disability, I wouldn't be able to leave my house. No. <laughs> so, yeah, there's like two sides of the coin of where people, they don't want to talk about it. I'm like, but why don't you want to talk about it? It's not a dirty thing to talk about. No, it's not. But it makes people feel uncomfortable because they have to recognise their own privilege. So yeah. I have to recognise as an able-bodied person that I can't just treat you it's not giving you special treatment but I have to adjust the way I act I have to make myself not uncomfortable yeah. but it's not going to be as easy as someone with enabled and that's on me not on you to, yeah. do you know what I mean I think there's an element of um of fear in there as well so I mean I've had a couple of people say to me they just assume like oh you, you just born this way um like no I'm not Lady Gaga but um <laughs> <laughs> but like no I think there's like an element of fear of like the interesting thing about disabilities and intersection is at anyone at any point in their life can suddenly fall into it. So I never, ever fall. I've never had, um, never been seriously ill in my life. I'd never had any like long term illnesses, no disabilities, anything like that. Suddenly, boom, 21 disabled for life. Um, and I think it, it scares people realising that that could also be their reality. So I think sometimes people retreat away from it in fear of, you know, accepting that could be me. Because, I mean, I, I mean I'll probably talk about it a bit later, but I was incredibly internally ableist. Like, I didn't notice it before I had my injury. But, you know, when I first had my injury, and, and I think, and I, I try not to be too hard on myself about it. I try and write it off to, you know, having a trauma and going through everything. But I was very, very internally ableist where I was like, I'm not going to spend my life in a wheelchair. I need to walk. I need to do this. And I thought if I never walk again, I would never be happy. That was that was just internalised ableism where I probably was ableist before and never 
had to be confronted with it. But um, you, it's like anything, really. We all have internalised and entrenched misogyny and racism yeah. and ableism. That's not you. It's a product of this environment that we live in that champions a very specific set of ideals. And unless you're living in those one of those marginalised, or I hate sometimes saying oppressed because actually sometimes that's quite derogatory, but like a marginalised group, then sometimes it is really hard to to see that you have these like internalised ideas and thoughts. I wanted to ask quickly, you just said then that you thought, you know, if I can never walk again, I'll never be happy. But evidently, I mean, you're absolutely smashing your career and you're being, you're a very positive person. But how long was that transformation from the point of, you know, having what is unequivocally like a life-changing life accident to coming to a place of like acceptance? Do you accept, have you accepted it in, to the point where you kind of, contented with it or is it still something that you struggle I mean I'm sure you struggle against it but do you know what I mean yeah I know what you mean so it's um it's, it's definitely a journey and it's it's a journey that I'm still on so um there are times where um and one like an example um for example like where I'm doing my online coaching I coach I coach able-bodied and disabled clients so sometimes when I first started that I was um programming for able-bodied clients and I was writing them leg days glute days nothing like that and I remember, I think the first um, able-bodied program I wrote, I sat there and I cried because I mm. just, I missed hamstring curls. That was it. Something so simple and basic. I thought, I really missed that. But then I was at a point where I could think, right, I missed that, but I can also do this, this and this. So I think um, it, it did take a long time. And I think it didn't really start until maybe like a year after my injury. I mean, it's not like I can, put, I mean, a lot of people go to me, oh, have you given up on walking then? It's not that I've, I've given up, but I'm living life at the same time. Whereas before I was in a space of, I need to walk, life's on hold. Like, no. And that's, I think that I was going about it the wrong way. I mean, science may progress massively and something might come along and then one day I might walk. But I live my life now with that not being the priority of my life. Um, but I think the like, most important thing for me really was deconstructing my own internalized ableism um but also realizing that like walking isn't like the the key to happiness i think when i started to really think back before my injury and i think i really glamorized my able-bodied self um when i was first injured because i was looking back at old uni pictures and i was looking at my glutes and i was like oh my god i miss having abs and glutes and you know like really pathetic um and i was like i miss running around in nightclubs and whatever and then i think actually when i think about it there were some times before my injury where i was really depressed and really unhappy but I could walk then I was able-bodied then um so I started to think that you know I I went through periods of depression where I where I was able-bodied so walking isn't you know the be-all and end-all of life and then I think when I actually started to get my take control of my life again so when I got back into training that was a massive massive thing and um it went from just going literally just went through a gym one time um didn't didn't even go in I just went to it signed up left and then I think it was like going into the gym, I started to sort of just wheel around it, get used to the equipment. And I used to keep, um, I had a little notebook, a little tiny notebook, and I used to write all of the exercises that I could still do, write down all the equipment I could still use and start to think in my head um, of creating myself a program and, and try and working around what I can do. And I think doing things like that where I was getting back to more who I, who I know I am really, like deep down inside, and that is when I started to change my perception of it. So... Um, learning to drive was a massive massive thing I mean I only passed in November just gone but that is like the one thing it's completely changed my life like loads of things like that so getting my life back on track and taking control of it and finding um, a purpose other than being able to walk <laughs> 
Like that was, it was absolutely massive. You you said that at one point, you're like, oh, it was really silly. I was like missing my bum and my abs. But actually, it's not silly because we know so well that women especially are told that their physical bodies are kind of like the greatest capital that they have. And the yeah. way that you look is the most important thing. And I find it interesting because I almost do agree kind of thing that when you are of so much privilege and that like you're able-bodied and you're white and you're whatever else, sometimes you can get so trapped in those like really seem small things but they can become all-encompassing that when yeah. maybe I imagine like something like this happens if you have the absolute mental strength but it is it's incredible that I like I, I find you very inspiring which is such a cringe <laughs> thing to say opposite <laughs> the table but it's true uh, to turn that but I can kind of understand how it would kind of take you to a different place like look at life in a different yeah. way I think um, one really interesting thing you've brought up there is, and it's a conversation that I've only just started having with people, but you brought up about women's bodies being like their greatest capitalist asset. Well, one of the main questions I get as a disabled woman, you know, you go on Instagram, you do that, ask me a question, and people can, you know, just go on there and ask willy-nilly, and, and they do. Um, I know, yeah. <laughs> they try to, they do, don't they? Um, the most common one I get is literally revolving around sex revolves around can you have sex um can you can you feel this can you do this or whatever like really like questions you just would not ask someone um unless they're an influencer and they don't have feelings or you know anything um and I started to think about it and I was like why are people fascinated with this it's really really weird and I spoke to some of my disabled male friends and they were like we don't really get them kind of questions very much it's just more you're so inspiring you're this this whatever and um and then so I was thinking, well, but why do me and my disabled um, girl mates get these questions orientated more towards us? It's not saying men don't get them questions, but it's not so much as like a direct, you know, like we're really with aggression. And then um, I was really, really deconstructing it over coffee and Instagram um, one morning. And I was thinking, I really think it stems from the patriarchy. It really just defines a woman's worth by how much sex she can give or how much sexual worth she has. So it's almost like when people are like, oh, are they gay? Oh, yes. It's not like it's not like I mind. I just want to know. Why do you want to know? Are you trying to shag them? <laughs> like, is that how you're going to determine your worth, their worth to you? So it's like they almost want to know what your sexual worth is so they can, or what your sexual position is so they can determine your worth. Um, it's an issue of ableism that is still rooted in patriarchy. Mm. So it's really interesting to think about when a lot of people talk about feminism, I, I ever really hear the argument of feminism come from someone who looks like me. So um, a lot of the time, it's it's and it's one of the things that's not spoke about because a lot of the time when you get people talking about feminism, they're not coming from different points of view. But that is one thing that I, I've massively found is it's almost like the desexualization of it's it's desexualization, but it's also hypersexualization at the same time. I think you're completely right, and I also wonder if there's a slightly more kind of um, sinister idea towards the, the idea that because you have been disabled by an accident, that you've almost got less power, and then. Yeah. like that kind of is but do you also wonder that with a disability have you found that people feel like they have more right to ask you questions which absolutely you would never yeah. normally ask someone um, there have been times where I've been like fully like just shocked I mean even now um, I mean people will ask me they'll just ask me just in the street or if I'm in a supermarket or if I'm in you know anywhere in a restaurant but oh why are you in the wheelchair then wow and literally, I, I, the first few times it happened, I'd say for the first year, I thought, I don't know what to say because I don't want to tell them. I don't want to talk about it. Why are they asking? I didn't understand. Because as much as, you know, I was internally ableist before, I have never, ever asked anyone that. That is the one thing I could not understand. Um, 
So, I mean, at first I was very much like, I don't want to upset them. And now I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> if you're going to come to me with that question, you're going to get the answer that you deserve. But it was very hard at first to try. And you almost feel like you're kind of tiptoeing around not wanting to upset them. But then I had to think, why do I care about upsetting them? They've come to me not caring about upsetting me. Um, so, yeah, I mean, now I normally reply with something like, why are you standing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> something like that. And it's just like, well, it's, it's none of your business. And then when they get a bit like, oh, I'm only asking. And I'm like, well, but the think about the question that you're asking. There's clearly a story behind why I'm in a wheelchair, whether I was born with it, whether, whether I had an accident, something like that. And you coming to that, you're asking for one-to-one private access mm. to my trauma before you've even asked how I am today. So it really feels like it strips you of any like identity of like humanity that you have, and it sounds really like dramatic. It's it's a I, w- I would class it as like a microaggression, but it's one of them things that really sets a picture of what people think of you and how they see you. Um, that in in a able-bodied world, I I don't think it's dramatic at all. I can imagine how that constant chipping away as you say at your identity you know it's again it's that like disability first thing and you're right it's such an odd question I can imagine a five-year-old asking yeah. and that's kind of like See, fair when, enough when kids ask I, I I don't take anything of it I mean um parents they get so embarrassed and mm. I'm like it's fine but you need to teach them how to um how to deal with questions like that so when they ask you all the time why does that go in a wheelchair you need to learn how to deal with that if you want to ask me how to deal with that, that's fine. I can help. Probably wouldn't know because I don't know how to deal with kids. I'm the least maternal person ever. Um, one time it really, really upset me is this, there was a little boy. I was in the supermarket and he said, Daddy, why does that go in a wheelchair? And I'm like, normal question. Normally people just say, oh, but because she needs it because she can't walk, something like that. Perfectly fine answer. But the dad turned around to the son. He was like, because some people aren't as lucky as you are. <gasps> and I bit the I couldn't, I had to take the bite a bit. <laughs> and I turned around and I was like, excuse me. I was like, you don't know I can hear you. I was like, I'm not deaf, you know. Um, and then he was like, oh, is that, it was like, there's something wrong with what I said. And I went, yeah. I was like, you have just taught your very young son that his life has more worth than mine because I'm sitting down and he's standing up. You know, what does that teach him? What kind of foundation does that set for him about disability? I'm probably the first disabled person he's seen. That is now his foundation, his understanding of disabled people. It's micro, but it really sets a tone for what you're teaching your child. Yeah, that's so, do you know what, good for you saying something as well. Because also, when you said it to me then, I did have like a literal reaction. I was like, but actually, that terminology, it isn't like, I can imagine that people use that kind of thing all the time because we do seem to see ourselves. And I think it's exactly what you said earlier about people thinking that disability will never happen to them. Yeah. We kind of shroud ourselves with this idea that we're lucky it will never happen to me. And it's like a safety net around it. Whereas actually... That the, the problem with that is as well, if his son did end up being disabled or something yeah. like you, you're right, you're tying yourself up in knots. It's not a game of luck, you know. Yeah. So many things could happen to so many different people. Um, I'm going to circle back again quickly because the nature of your accident, um, it happening in the gym and things, I want to know, like, what... Because, again, you obviously weren't born with this, and I feel like that must be even, some, in some ways, I don't know, harder to deal with. And did you find that, like... Did you feel a sense of self-blame or like, and how was it getting back into the gym now? Because that's, on a really minor scale, it's not comparable. I broke my leg in the gym doing box jumps. I remember that. I remember when we yeah. did that. Yeah. And then I had to like have my leg pinned plated. Now I go back. I actually did box jumps this morning. Completely well different done. scenario, but still injured myself in the gym. Yeah. And everyone was like, how did you go back? Yeah. But I I think I know the answer because it's fucking amazing. But I wanted to know like how that, I assume that would have been a, bi- a much bigger leap. Or were you desperate to go back even after it happened? What was your relationship like with exercise? So 
um, I got into like fitness in general when I was, I want to say 19, it was second year of uni, um, and I basically got into fitness because I was like really struggling at uni, really down, you know what it's like when you're like, you're drinking too much, you're eating too much, you're texting too many toxic boys, <laughs> and I was just like, I need to do something. Let's join the gym. So that's how it started. And I think I just fell in love with it again because it was that kind of like that control thing of where like I have the power to be able to to, to do something and turn my day around and make it positive, um, which I still is probably still now the core of everything that I do. But um, yeah, so I fell in love with it at uni. This happened just literally the day I got my results. So I'd literally just moved home for uni. Um, getting back to the gym, it was a massive, massive struggle. I mean, when it first happened, I remember like lying in the hospital bed and everyone was like, you know, um, like I, I went the first friends I said, I was like, I can't wait to go back to the gym. And everyone kind of looked around, like, is she mental? That's the, my dad was like, that's not happening. Um, and I was like, well, it is. So I was like, I'm going to need to build up strength. I need to get back. And for me, it was just a given. Like, there was no second thought about it. It wasn't until um, I got to rehab. So I'm still in a hospital, but now I'm up in a chair and I'm, you know, wheeling around and things like that. Um, so we go right down to the gym that's at the bottom of the rehab. And um, I just had this panic attack, just... Mm. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today could not um couldn't function had to leave um and it was around that time and so many things were happening I um I mean my boyfriend at the time had just broken up with me I had my graduation that I was determined to go to for the day the next week so I think it was a combination of chaos in my brain which um kind of brought on a load of different it brought everything to the surface I think I'd gone through survival mode of need to get back to the gym need to get just get through each day get through each day survive 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 and then loads of things happen you know like break up you've got to get to graduation all these things and it just hit me all at once and brought everything to the surface that I'd been kind of pushing down because I wanted to look strong and that might come from that might have come from a place of self-blame where I was like this is my problem I've got to deal with it so I have to be strong now um and so I got diagnosed with PTSD and depression. And I'm very, very lucky that I had a really good psychiatrist. I was, because I was an inpatient, I basically got put to the top of the list. We had someone who would come around and see us every week. Um, I'm known that everyone's not that lucky to get that. It was because I was an inpatient. I was really, really lucky. Um, and she really, really helped me. We would have days where we would just go down to the gym, we'd just sit there and we'd have a chat about something completely unrelated. She'd be like, did you see Coronation Street? Or something like that. And then she'd just be like, oh, um, just walk like go over here um, and I think one thing that really helped is my psychiatrist was actually disabled as well oh, wow. so I remember saying like oh, I'm not going to go see some psychiatrist she had no idea what I'm going through I get there and I'm like oh, okay <laughs> she might have some idea so um, yeah that really massively helped and so I took everything I learned with her and I kind of left the hospital and tried to take all of them sort of teachings with me so um, it got to New Year and I remember I think it's like the day after New Year's Day and my dad said to me he was like right we're going to go around to the gym and then we're going to sign up. We're not going to do anything. We're just going to sign up. And I was like, I'm not doing that. He was like, 
Yes, but yeah, I was still absolutely terrified. I was having, I mean, even now I do suffer with like nightmares and things like that, but they're a lot more controllable. Whereas like then I was having bad night terrors, not really sleeping very much, um, really, really depressed. And um, my dad was like, right, no, we're going to teach you a route that you can walk around on your own because it's only like a 15 minute wheel walk. Um, so he was like, we're going to find an accessible path. We're going like, to make it doable. So we go around there, we do that. And he's like, it's not so bad, is it? So we're signed up. And then it was like baby steps of, as I said before, going into the gym, looking at the equipment, then it went to doing one session a week. Um, and then I was like, I'm actually, I'm really enjoying this. I thought I'd started to find myself feeling more like me. So I think that's kind of what pushed me more mm. into it. Going to three days a week, doing things like that. And then um, I think it was Gymshock who reached out to me about writing for International Women's Day. And it was loads of things like that where I think people were starting to take an interest in my story. And it actually made me stop and realise that, like, I've actually accomplished something really great. Even be able to get back into a gym just to do one session a week was massive. It was something I'd never thought about. It was just, to me, something that I kind of had to do. And I kind of do have to thank my dad for kind of, like, pushing me and, like, making me do it in, like, a very, like, a not a nasty way, kind of way. Um, and, yeah, and it, it just kind of just went through like that. But there was a time where it, it felt like something I had to do, just something that felt impossible to then something that I actually wanted to do. So I was doing it more for myself. And there's still times now where I struggle. Like I was on the M6 the other day, on the M6, the M4, yeah, I still haven't learned the motorways. <laughs> I really don't know. It just tell, get Siri to tell me where to go. But, um, and there was an accident to the side of the road. Now I wasn't in the, I was in the car and she was in a gym injury. But whenever I see something like that, mm. It just honestly sets off so many emotions, so many feelings. This car, the car was van, actually was turned totally on its side. <coughs> totally turned on his side um, and I just remember going past it fire engines trying to get past me trying to cut this man out of this car and I was only halfway. I was going to Burma I was only half an hour away and like, I just cried the whole rest of the way like, to, to there and it was just like something one of the things that it's just that the, that the sounds of like the fire engine the ambulance the blue lights things like that just set off so many different mm. memories but now it's at a point where I can recognise this you're feeling this way because you went through something traumatic but it's okay you're safe and now you can process it and even like on the station this morning like someone right in front of me she fell she tripped i think she she's broken her knee actually so i really hope she's okay um but she nearly fell onto the platform just right in front of me and there's times like that where i'm remembered of what happened to me and not to make it all about me but i'm remembered about the, the fragility of life and how, you know, something like that can just happen. You're so right. And also, I wanted to I go back, I think, in that question I framed, I said something like, did you blame yourself? And I didn't mean that. I was actually a really victim-blaming way of saying it because, as you're saying, you're so right. It's like, this is just, that is just part of the tapestry of life. And I also kind of feel, and I think I, I feel better thinking this, but that, like, things kind of happen for a reason. Yeah. And if you start to think like that, even if everyone's like, it's not true, it does just I think make I, things easier I always to deal say with. things happen for a reason. I mean, even if it's not true, it might not be true, but you can make the reason yeah, happen. Yeah, exactly. You just make the reason if, if it doesn't. Also, your dad and your relationship sounds like the loveliest <laughs> thing in the world. Like, that's so nice. But I've spoken, I, was, I guess I was asking you then about, like, how did you find that personal motivation to go back to the gym after having such a traumatic incident? But the, the side of things that I think we don't consider often, especially as able-bodied people, is irrespective of how much you want to do things, the barriers to access oh God, yeah. don't exist. So yeah. we can talk about you having kind of like strength and ambition till the end of the day, but that only goes so far yeah. if the world isn't ready to be accessible for you. Actually, one of the things that really annoys me is the saying of they'd never let their disability hold them back. And people go, but that's a nice thing to say. And I'm like... 
No, because every disabled person I've met, any obstacle they've ever had is not put upon them by themselves. It's it's an ableist infrastructure that has put that obstacle there. And when you say something like that, it makes it sound like the disability is the problem. The disability is not the problem. You and the infrastructure are the problem. Um, so that, and it, when people said that to me, don't, don't let your disability hold you back. And I'm like, it wouldn't if you yeah. were more accessible. We've literally worked out a way to go up into the air thousands of miles yeah. high and get from yeah. the UK to Australia. But a person in a wheelchair can't go in the tube. Like, I think when you think of it like that, yeah. it is like clearly we have the technology and the ability to do it. And people are so, um, I mean, if, even if you take that, what happens today, it's just because people don't think about it. I mean, a lot of it is... Some of it is like naivety and a bit of like innocent ignorance. And then some of it is, I don't want to spend money on that. So it's not a loud problem. So I can keep ignoring it, which does happen. Um, but yeah, and I think so I think a lot of people are just unaware. They just don't know. I think it all trickles into each other, though, because I think as you talked about before, like awareness, I think, is the last thing. But I think that comes from the point of legislation, not funding money into it, because there would be awareness if there was representation. There would be representation yeah. if there was access and there would be access if our government and the people with the power decided that actually we need to funnel more money into yeah. making sure that things are accessible. So for could you kind of explain like some of the like day to day the most basic things that just you just can't do like but not because you're in a wheelchair but because the world because the access yeah. isn't there yeah so um do you know what it's really weird now to think sometimes I go out my day before I was disabled and sometimes I can't remember it just because of how natural like my day now has become to me um so now even things like I'm very lucky a lot of people don't get this done but I was very lucky to have my house adapted by the council wow. so I think when you're under a certain age or something like something to do with like certain, there's certain requirements are basically they will pay to have um, your house adapted so I was very very lucky so because of them adaptions because of access I can now live in my house independently so I can you know just like you get up in the morning grab a shower you know grab my own coffee grab my breakfast um get out of my house which for a long time I could not do because I was waiting for the adaptions to be done so my adaptions in my house I have a slope going into my house because we did have two steps but now we have just have a slope um I have a wet room so basically a shower without a step so you just you just wheel into it and it's an ensuite to my bedroom um and then I do have a lift going from the dining room up to my bedroom so it just goes that just goes straight up so but I know a lot of disabled people who don't that don't have them privileges so they can't even live in their own house independently things that they would be able to do if if that was there um but they can't so it then makes things like I mean before I had that them adaptions done like I wouldn't been able to um and my parents had to bring me in like a bowl of water and I would have to have like a bed buff like I'd be able to do it myself I mean some people can't but I would be able to do it myself but I wouldn't be able to jump up and grab a shower and it's things like that that I missed and when I got them back I think I started to appreciate all the little things a lot more and being a lot more grateful for them because I think that that's what makes you feel human it's not really about the big stuff it's about the fact that like and as you say because of the virtue the fact that this can happen to everyone we all really should hope that we have this and and for the people that are already disabled but like it's just one of those things that might happen so we really should be more prepared for it yeah because I do think that I can imagine that one of the most difficult I don't want to I have no idea actually I don't know why I'm talking (laughs) as if I do but I think that like that independence that's what makes you feel alive is a massive massive thing um as well like it's because when I mean since I've become independent and more and more grandly independent 
I've become so much more of a functioning member of society. So I now contribute, I can actually contribute to society, um, and not just in an economic way, but in, in so many other ways as well. Um, and I think that is one thing that really gets missed is because a lot of, I did a podcast going back, a, a, I think it was in December, talking about disability in the employment in the employment sector. And there were, there were some really shocking statistics of um, something like only 30, don't quote me on this, but something around about 30% of people with a spinal injury return to work. Wow. Only 30%. Um, and then I think there's some really shocking statistics of like employers who just wouldn't hire a disabled person because they don't think that we are capable of functioning in, in that kind of environment because they haven't seen it, because they haven't tried it. But if there was the access of someone being able to get to work, of someone being able to actually have a job to then start paying taxes, to start paying rent, mortgage, you're then becoming a part of society, which functions society to keep going, but also functions you and like your social and mental health, because you can, you know, we, we're then we've got a more of a level playing field. You're more part of society. You know, you feel more like human. Yeah, I think this is one of the massive things when it comes to disabilities. There's so much stigma around it. And it's kind of similar to the way that people view people who are in fat bodies. Like there's this idea that people who are disabled sometimes that like, oh, they're on disability benefits. So this whole really, really backhanded rhetoric around laziness and stuff. And that's simply not true. I remember speaking to a girl who had an invisible illness um, and she would sometimes collapse and sometimes need to use a wheelchair, but other times she could walk. And she was saying how she wanted to go to a shopping mall she rung them and said do you have a wheelchair in case this happens I think she had some kind of chronic pain illness maybe like fatigue yeah syndrome. yeah I wasn't sure but she said oh yeah we do have wheelchair access but only between the hours of like 12 and 3 and she was like well I've got a job and they're like yeah. oh that's only so even in that instance disability things assume that disabled people don't work so the hours for certain things that are like disabled focused will be in like um, off-peak hours yeah. or disabled toilets will be filled with chairs in Starbucks. Yeah. Like things like this where because we don't see people with disability out so often because it's physically almost impossible f- for you to get there, Yeah, we then, even the things that are there are done so badly and I do think the visibility thing is a huge issue. That's massive, yeah. I mean, I I've, I know a few people with um, who aren't full-time wheelchair, wheelchair users. So me, I'm a full-time wheelchair user. I cannot walk without the wheelchair. Um, I get out of it independently. So I get into bed, I get into my car. Um, that's another thing as well. Like when I'm using my car, people are just dumbfounded. Like they're shocked. Like I have a hand-controlled car, so I drive with um, a hand accelerator and brake. Um, really, really cool. Totally adapted. I take my chair apart from the driver's seat and put it over... I- pick it up over me but I can only do that because I've built up strength wow. because I got back to the gym so it all kind of relates to each other but every time I pull up to a disabled bay people look at me filthy I, I pull up to say but obviously I'm young um I've got Beyonce playing I'm in a big Audi and people think oh look here comes another youngster like taking <sighs> taking the you know the piss and it's always elderly people who just stare at me until the point where like I wheel away from the car they're glaring at me and I'm like why are you doing that? What is the point? This is already, like doing a a car to chair transfer is already something that is a little bit, you know, you still get a little bit of anxiety doing it every time. Um, I mean, I just throw myself, but I know some some things like some people find really nervous to do. And when you've got people standing there staring at you because they don't believe you are disabled enough, um, Mm. it just, it's just like, it's so uncomfortable. 
And it just it's one of the things that makes the experience of being disabled so much harder. I remember when I was first injured, I hated going out, I hated socialising because I knew if I met anyone new, they would ask me about my disability. So it got to the point where I really isolated myself off from meeting new people because I didn't want them to ask me any questions so I wouldn't give them the opportunity to. Um, so, I mean, they might have not have asked they might have just been very nice people who wouldn't have done but I was like I'm not given the opportunity I would kind of cut myself off from getting to know anyone so they wouldn't have the chance to ask what how do you think we can improve our relationship with the way that first of all that we view disability to move it away so much from being like the person focused and more society focused to be like how can we make you feel able in in an, yeah. in an ableist society, and also how do we change people's perceptions on it? Like, what what kind of things would you want to see going forward that maybe we as allies could try to help them force so that you're not doing all the work and you're not having to sit on a podcast every yeah. other week talking about yeah. it? Um, I think it's really interesting. People go, so like, what would you want to change? What do you want to do? I think there's so many different levels and there's so many different types of ableism. So you've got like physical ableism. Like one time, this guy refused to open the disabled toilets to me at Stratford because he couldn't be bothered. Luckily, I had an able-bodied person with me who was like, you need to do this right now. If it had been me on my own, he probably wouldn't have done it. So there's instances like that where there's a physical barrier. So say something like a step, a staircase is a physical barrier. And um, there was also, I was very lucky to be with an able-bodied person because then they can use their voice and their privilege to be, this isn't good enough, you yeah. need to do something. Um, but then there's also more kind of like, subtle um I, don't, I haven't even really coined a, a term for it. i don't know if there is one but more sort of like subtle ableism where the way we language and the way we talk um so i know like even some people say to me like oh how you doing you know i hope it all works out for you mm. i'm like mate i've probably got a better career than you like my life is like amazing stop talking down to me yeah like do you know what i mean like and there's things like that so language and the way we talk and i think there's so many different angles to approach the way we're deconstructing ableism so i think it, it will take a massive massive like a long amount of time to to do so um because it feels like uh, like a like a mountain to climb and i think the I, 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 this is completely off topic but it just reminded me of it and people go oh, but we've come so far because sometimes they see a disabled person on the train um, yeah. and I'm like yeah to you we've come so far but when you're experiencing ableism every day you don't have the time to wait another 25 years for the tubes to be updated um and I think so I think really the main thing to tackle all angles of it would be to have more disabled people at the table because as you say people are naive or they're ignorant whatever you want to call it so they're not thinking about it but if you've got disabled people at the table saying hello hi we we need this we're a part of this conversation people then might start turning around and going oh oh shit didn't even think of that um you know like say for example um some disabled toilets they have bins in there which you have to press the pedal with your foot oh, yeah. to open if you have a disabled person at the um you know, I don't, I don't what the board meeting, whatever the board meeting of who was designing that particular toilet, or even disabled hotel rooms. I've been in disabled hotel rooms before, where I've gone back down to the hotel and I'm like, this is not a disabled hotel room. There's not a rolling shower. There's a bath with handrails. This is a room for an elderly person. If you'd have had someone who was disabled at your board meeting when you were designing this hotel, you would know that. So I think it's more about um, you know access to positions where disabled people can get across their experiences yeah I think I think the other thing with ableism is that it's kind of like the last prejudice you're allowed to have I think when it comes to talking about intersectionality and I know I talk about intersectional feminism a lot I do think that even I 
I was actually writing, that's really funny, I was writing something earlier and I was going, like, talking about, like, homophobia, transphobia, fatphobia and, and racism and something. And then the last thing I remembered was ableism. Yeah, it I'd, always gets missed off. Yeah. Yeah. And but when before your accent, were you, did you feel, do you feel like you've learned a lot more about it or do you feel like you were aware already? Did you, did you, did you know about ableism before? Oh, no, you're saying you already yeah. kind no, of, like, I, had it. I would say, before, I think before my injury, um, I mean, I was only 21 when I was injured, so I was a really annoying little white girl. I probably still am. But um, I was proper, like, you know, racism is bad. And I would be like, oh, my God, racism is bad. Like, I hate this, I hate that. But then would probably still talk over say, a black woman when she was talking about her experience of racism, not because I was like, my experience is more important than yours, but because I didn't understand fully that it's her time to talk and it's not mine, it's my time to listen. So I think more than anything, my injury has taught me that, is that when it comes to a particular intersection, it is the person who is marginalised by that intersection, it is their their chance to talk and share their experiences. So I think now um, that's like the main the main thing I've learned. And I don't I don't know why ableism is is constantly missed off the list. But then I kind of get into a position where I don't want to be constantly being like being left off the list. But then I don't want to be like demeaning the experiences or the marginalisation of other intersections. Being like we're always left off. You know, you're, you're always talking about Black Lives Matter or you know gay rights because they are tremendously important. And I we would do everything I could to be an ally and I don't want to be like my cause is more important but um we always seem to be the one that is like is left left off yeah no I and I don't think it's saying it's more important I just think it's it's a very odd it's it's just kind of like the last taboo I just think that we haven't seem to have I think there's like a cognitive dissonance where everyone has like almost collectively decided that they don't want to talk about disability because it's too much of an upheaval yeah. it's too difficult we can't do that no because it seems when actually it's not really that hard like we're doing much crazier shit in this world yeah. than making things accessible and I do think I think it's laziness on the part of people with privilege who don't want to have to think about making these changes and even going back to my very first thing right at the beginning me just not thinking to check like because it is you have to be vigilant but you have to be as a person with a disability vigilant why shouldn't we like it doesn't take that much out of everyone's time yeah to make one small change exhausting when it's every day of your life you're being yeah. you're being vigilant so it's like it is and sometimes I think like if I get like some comments on Instagram and things like that like if they're ableist or whatever sometimes I really pick and choose my battles because if I didn't and I fought every single one I would be exhausted all of the time and I feel like I'd be a lot more negative of a person so um you know, we do need able-bodied people to start or to start even more sort of fighting our battles, not for us, but with us. Yeah. Because not just because, um, I mean, there is an element of you could become disabled at any time, but there's also an element of I'm human, you're a human, I would fight for you if you needed me to. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that element of seeing disabled rights as human rights. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Can I ask you, have I said, because I still think ableism is something as well, which I'm trying to get used to, and I notice I catch myself sometimes saying things which especially talking about fitness actually it can be quite hard not hard but it can be new to talk about it in a way where I'm trying not to be exclusive to people who couldn't who have certain able-bodied privileges yeah have I said anything in this conversation just out of interest um, that you would think no there's nothing that I've picked up in this conversation no okay. I mean there's I think the most important thing is that you're aware of that you could that you could say something there's some people where that like you'd be like oh I don't like the way you said that or this is how I would say it and they get so defensive right like that is the only thing I think we're in very when it comes to talk about ableism I'm still learning every day and sometimes I say something and I think ooh I um, need to unpack that <laughs> that's for later um, but yeah so and I think it's the ability 
ability to learn and to change. Um, like when I was first disabled, I mean, my nan herself, I mean, she, she um, has like... Um, cancer is in remission but um she's had a blue badge for ages but she always has always called the blue badge an invalid badge because right. of because of her age that's yep. just what she knows it as but then when i and I, she's done it my whole life i never picked up on it till i became disabled till i got my own blue badge and she started saying oh we need to go to the invalid parking and something really switched on on me where i was like no um and then she was like well, what, what did i say i've been saying that my you know my whole life and i'm like yeah but now you're not. And um, yeah. But I was very lucky that she's like, I mean, there was there's still times she'll slip up, but now she'll slip up and go, oh, sorry, I mean blue badge. Um, but like, she, she's trying, you know, she, she understands now because she actually listened to what I was saying and she understood why that would be so um, hurtful to hear that. That story has just reminded me of like a really good point to make because I think sometimes people don't understand ableism, but that word, invalid, invalid which is literally yeah. invalid, invalid. Yeah which basically means you're not human, that is the cusp of what we're fighting against. Yeah. It's like, no, just because you've had an injury, you're not suddenly not Sophie anymore. You're not just yeah. a, a faceless wheelchair user. That's what we're fighting. It's like bringing the humanity back yeah. into it. That's such an interesting point. When you think about things like that, like the, the language that was used. Yeah. It seems, I was about to say crazy, then I'm like, oh my God, is that a, is that a, um, like shocking. a, it's, sh it's shocking. shocking, yeah. Yeah, Because yeah, there's also like mental ableism as well, so yeah. it does get quite confusing. Is there anything that you um, specifically would want to bring up that I haven't touched on or that you think is a really important point for people to think about? Ooh. Sorry, This else. is the thing, you know, this is such an, I've, I've done quite a few podcasts now, but I've never actually done one where I've sat and talked about ableism and like disability like in depth. I, I talk about it all the time on like social media, but it's nice to actually have sit down conversation with someone who isn't disabled and be like, you know, talk about different like depths of it. Yeah. Because um, there's, there's so many different, I mean, I'm very lucky. I went through the education system as an able-bodied person. Um, so I haven't had to experience that side of the marginalisation. Um, but yeah, I guess there are so many different elements to it that even I probably haven't even realised. There's education, employment, um, financial, social, um, even like if you're thinking about health. Um, I saw someone the other day, um, I think her name's Shona, I follow her on Twitter and she's like a great disability activist. Um, and she was talking about how, um, I think it was smear tests are pretty much inaccessible because um, she said they're not really catered for disabled women. And you think it's something like that where um, it's completely missed off the feminist sort of mm. radar, isn't it? Um, yeah, and then, you know, you've got the health sector, things like that. But it's, it's, I think it would, it would take me like maybe all week to go through like every single section. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, there's so many things that I'm discovering all the time where it's a new experience and it's a new kind of marginalisation or it's a new thing that I know, right, great, that's something else I need to kick down or punch down or whatever. But yeah, there's this, I think we've we've covered quite a lot of them um, in a short time yeah. as well. That's good. Well, I don't. I know it's been we've been kind of focusing on the negative attributes that come with disability, but I also want to say because you are like carving a path for young women and men out there with disability and it just shows like even if bloody people won't employ you you've got fucking great like if you can't yeah. you might not be able to get employed in an office but you've got a way better career online and actually maybe this will just pave the way for more people who are looking to get their voices heard and speak because I do think it's so important that we hear from people with disability not about disability just about them being them yeah. and happening to have a disability but I don't think we're quite there yet but I do think that being able to see it more like seeing is the believing representation is, a, is a massive thing it's yeah. so important and I think everything you're doing is really incredible I'm very grateful Thank that you, you came on <laughs> um, if people would like to find you online 
where do they need to go? So you can find me on Instagram. I'm Soph J Butler. Really regret picking that name, but it's Soph J Butler. Um, and then YouTube, Sophie Butler. Um, and then Twitter, although you might not want to follow me on Twitter, it can be a bit of a danger zone, but that again is Soph J Butler. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, well, thank you so much for no, time. Thank you for having me. I've absolutely me. loved it. And thank you so much for listening, guys. I will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.